Hey, welcome to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFove. And I'm Lorianne McKenna. We are professional screenwriters. We've worked together as a team and separately. We've worked on studio and indie films, live action and animation, from my work on Inside Out and Captain Marvel. To my work in Pixar's story department on Up, Brave, and Inside Out. We are here to share our insights on the craft of screenwriting and also the life. How to not only survive the ups and downs, but thrive. We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey. Hey guys, welcome back to the Screenwriting Life. We are just getting back from the Austin Film Festival and it was awesome to meet everybody at our, I guess, secret CSL meetup, which we didn't know was the, the secret, secret Austin party, <laughs> but it was amazing. And I'm, I, uh, I was so lucky to meet so many of you. And this week we're going to be answering questions that you all sent in. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about our weeks and what we call adventures in screenwriting. Lorian, how was your week? I have no idea because I just found out that the show I ran last year, Tab Time, was nominated for an Emmy. Woo! <laughs> so, I mean, literally like 10 minutes before I jumped on the Zoom to record the show, I found out. So I might be a little scattered and weird because I'm still processing that because as everyone who listens to the show knows, I am only prepared for bad, upsetting news. So I am trying to really just like be super excited and not worry about what this means. And just, you know, I, you know, my show got nominated for an Emmy. So I'm really excited. And the host, Tabitha Brown, got nominated for an Emmy as well for uh, Outstanding Host. So two not two nominations for two um, nominations. what is it it's children's and daytime or just children's what is it what's the category you guys do you know savannah um, you know it's for <laughs> outstanding preschool series i mean what is it what are the emmys it's like daytime and children's emmys that, that particular one family children's and family programming emmys. yay Woo-hoo! so Woo-hoo! anyways i'm really excited about that and then also I just came back from Austin, which I wasn't going to go to, but then I got a raging case of FOMO, especially because I knew that we were going to have that CSL meetup on Saturday night. So I jumped on a plane on Friday and uh, uh, then I showed up at the party on Saturday and it was fantastic. And I uh, had such a really moving experience where I am learning how to take a compliment, you guys. I'm learning how to take a compliment and it didn't blow me out. I was like, okay, I can be, I can be this. I can be, I don't have to be either a trash person or a goddess. I can be just as I am and sort of take in that this show has affected a lot of people in a really positive way. And I can be proud of that without wanting to say it's all Meg, it's all Jeff, it's all Savannah, it's all everybody else. And it has nothing to do with me. And then, but I can sort of own that I am a part of this and it does have to do with me. So that was a big deal for me. Many tears were shed trying to come to this. But and the reason I was able to take that in is because the next day I went to Meg's creating emotional character seminar, where she talked a lot about um, belief systems. And I was sitting in the seminar with I don't know, like 500 other writers, watching them all nod their heads vigorously, like, yes, yes, like really being in the moment with Meg and, and as a collective and thinking about my own belief systems. And that you know, I, my belief system is that I'm worthless and not worth anything and that I should um, be invisible. And, but the night before I heard all this great, amazing, positive feedback about how important the show is for so many writers. And I thought both of those things can't be true. So I decided that 
me believing I'm worthless is not serving me and is the lie. And that the people who came up to me and cried or were so thankful or just wanted to chat or get a sticker um, or buy me a glass of water because that's what I was drinking for reasons that had to do with Friday night. But yeah, it was a really powerful experience. So I went to Italy and had this really intense experience and then at AFF and then I got nominated for an Emmy today. So there you go. Big week. Big Lori and McKenna week. Yeah. Um, Meg, how was your week? Uh, my week uh, was writing, 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 writing so that I could get on the plane and go to Austin. And I did. And um, it felt too fast coming in Friday and leaving Sunday. But uh, I really love it each year. I happened to see Colin who runs it on the street. And I said, you know, October's my favorite month because first it's my birthday and then I get to come here. And that was the truth. Uh, I just love meeting all the writers. I'm a story junkie. I love figuring out stories and they're key. So I had a great experience um, judging a pitch round uh, with the um, wonderful Marvel writer, Bo DeMeo. And he was so smart. We have to have him on the show. He was so kind and so smart that that's also why I love to go is to meet these incredible um panelists and mentors and he and I I think just attuned that we did not we were not interested in judging like we had to but we were more interested in helping so both of us would jump in and we'd be like okay for this competition know these couple of things but now let's talk about your story and we would take our four minutes or whatever we had to really dig into their stories very quickly and he was so fast he was so fast in figuring it out and offering up this and what about this and then he would pitch it back to them and it was really it was so fun. I'm just a story junkie. I just love that. I I get a lot of energy from talking to people about their stories or, you know, like I had these same experiences. You, Lauren, the show has meant a lot to people. A lot of people walking up and saying I had quit writing, but instead I kept going and I was a second rounder this year or my short film that I gave up on. I went back because of you guys and it's in this festival. You know, that is so gratifying because you know, we do this into into nothingness. We don't know, you know, uh, what the effect is necessarily. And we only do it uh, to do it. You know, we're not making millions. And uh, it's so it's really, really great to hear back that it is helping people. It is supporting people. And the community, I mean, when we set that <laughs> TSL, I literally always tell myself like 10 people could show up, Meg. Like just go with 10 people and have a hangout. And I would... I would estimate there were 350 people there. Like yeah, it was, it was shoulder to shoulder out on the terrace, packed terrace. And everybody was a TSLer. So they were all very supportive of each other and wanting to meet each other. There was no weird vibe going on. It was just a beautiful, supportive environment and people, you know, people, writers groups who only have been Zooming, meeting each other for the first time because they formed on, it just really, it was wonderful because I think Lauren and I love to build communities. That's kind of in our DNA and to actually be able to walk into the community, that it's not just this digital thing. It it actually manifested itself at this bar. It was such an honor. It was such an honor to be with you guys and to hear your stories and to talk to you and get to shake your hand um, take pictures together. I mean, it was really, it was a highlight. It was a highlight, not just of my week, but 
of my year of my life. I just, I just really, really loved doing it. Um, and then I literally was getting emails on my way to things. Are your pages? Can you send the pages? And I was like, cause I was writing at the same time. Um, but it was fun. I was totally worth it. And, uh, I think I got all my pages in nobody emailing me this morning. Um, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so it was great. I had a wonderful, beautiful week and I especially loved meeting, doing the Pixar panel was super fun and meeting Bo DeMeo was uh, such a great thing. We got to have him on the show. Um, so let's get on to your guys's questions. Um, so let's see. The first question is Andres asks any ad quick advice for tips to help script readability? Well, for me personally, my readability is a lot of white space on the page. Uh, I never try to go over three lines in a description. I work really hard to not do that. I mean, of course it happens sometimes, but you don't want dense blocks for people to read because they'll open it and then close it again. Because it, So first is it has a lot of white space. Uh, you should be able to know what character it is just by reading the dialogue because honestly, those execs are reading so fast. I don't think they're even reading who's talking because they should know by the dialogue and who's saying what because of character. Um, so that helps readability. Um, readability in terms of being able to follow what's happening, which I know sounds really like baseline, but I have read scripts um, where I actually don't know what's happening. They haven't introduced a character and all of a sudden they're talking, but you didn't introduce them being at in that scene. Um, just the logic and flow. Do I know where I am? Do I know who's in the room? And do I know kind of the tension and narrative that's happening um, if there's too many narrative things happening in one scene and you want me to get that the cat walked in and her dad is dying and she um, brought the wrong thing at the grocery store, if it's too many things, it just turns into mush and I can't follow it. It's kind of each character has a goal and they're in conflict. What is the goal of the scene? Know each scene, what is the narrative drive of that scene? Um, doesn't mean multiple things can't be going on. You always want multiple things going on, but those are subtextual right? They're not practical things going on that I have to follow too many plot things going on at once. Um, and then the last thing I would say is you need to learn, and this is just by doing, when to enter and exit a scene. Um, and that can be doing many drafts to learn, oh, I don't even need all this stuff at the stuff at the top of the scene. I can enter right here when she turns on the light switch. I don't need to see her go down the hall and get out her keys and that's called like shoe leather. Like, what is this in the script for? Why do I need her to go down the hall? Um, and when to exit a scene so that you feel a pace going and that it's not, uh, and by the way, that doesn't mean you don't slow down, but it could be action, action. And then I got to slow down and really get your attention here. And this is a quiet scene. So rhythm on the page, but rhythm of narrative too. And that all of this, by the way, you get by doing many drafts, right? Like, and just learning how to do it intuitively. So that would be my thought. Mine are, um, yeah, I agree with all that. Uh, mine are uh, punctuation and format. Don't change final draft or whatever software uh, you're using because you think it looks better some other way. Uh, follow as many conventions as you can, but pick one and stick with it. Um, like if you're gonna underline and bold your slug lines, underline and bold them all, or don't do any of them, but be consistent. Uh, punctuation is really important. A typo here and there is not gonna kill the readability, but try really, really hard 
to make sure that you proof it really well because it can be distracting, especially if I find like two or three or or something like that really bumps me. Um, I agree with Meg, like in terms of character introductions, make sure you introduce your characters. You let me know who's in the scene, but don't introduce too many at once. Like Karen, Sam, Braxton, you know, it's like, I then I don't know. I, then I get distracted by trying to keep track of who's talking um, if you introduce them all at once. Uh, try not to have characters with the names that start with the same letter or the same sounds because I'm oh reading Oh my gosh, fast. that's such a big one. Like Sam and Sarah, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I mean, it's such a silly, silly thing, but like, or or Mary and Sherry and Carrie, I'm like, I, I like try to make sure your names are as unique as your characters, unless there's a story reason for it. If there's a story reason for it, like they're triplets and they always get confused with each other and they're trading person, you know, trading lives or whatever. But um, be really clear about that with um, with action lines. Please be active present. Kill the gerundial as much as you can. Think about how your character walks into a room. She stomps. She runs. She crashes. She slinks. Not is walking into the room, is running into the room. Like go through your scripts and make sure it's active and present because I'm reading it in the now. I'm not reading it as she is going to do this thing or, you know, instead of she, she starts to get up, it's, you know, she bolts upright, but sits back down. You know, you, you tell me that's voice, right? That's how I'm knowing that somebody is very in touch with the character and has me, uh, that I'm confident in the story they're telling, that they know what's going on. So that's a, pet peeve of mine I think I don't know if everyone that's not a rule no for sure no for sure and I catch myself yeah. doing it sometimes and I have to go yes. back and because I do yeah. catch myself doing it it's an odd thing but you actually absolutely have to catch yourself doing it present be present in the script as the writer so that I can be present in it as the reader because I don't want to be behind or ahead of the character I want to be right with them and I think that active voice there might be a better more specific grammar way of saying that act in present I don't know yes I was an English teacher let's move on um, but yeah, I think white space, white space is really good. You open up a script and you're like, ah, I can read this. I can breathe when I'm reading this instead of like, oh God. Yeah. And you will learn think- your own voice and how you like to describe things. But I also think that, um, it's really important to read scripts. I don't mean scripts that are basically, you know, somebody watched and typed out what they saw. I mean, the actual author screenwriter's script so that you can see voice on the page, you can understand readability because you are the reader. If you're trying to learn readability by just writing and not reading, I don't think it's going to work as well. It'll work much faster. You know, when you're a a young development executive, you might be reading 10 scripts a week. Um, So yeah, and the day before you could put that in your digital pocket, you were literally carrying 10 scripts to your car. Um, But now, you know, Maybe set yourself, if you have readability or you want to learn writing, uh, I would set two to three scripts a week to read and just inundate your brain with it because it is like music at a certain point. It, it, it is a rhythmic thing and you're going to see how different people play those rhythms differently and that what that readability is like in terms of voice. And so I really, really recommend read as many scripts a week as you can because it's going to teach you so, so much. And just to add on to that in terms of reading scripts, you might find a script written by a very successful, prominent 
director or, or writer that has is 150 pages long with very dense scene descriptions. They get to do that because they've they've learned how to do that. They have like they're probably going to get a reader no matter even though it's 150 pages long and has very dense scene descriptions. Default to the easier read for now. <laughs> it like you can say, oh, well, Aaron Sorkin does this. And that's great. That's what Aaron Sorkin does. But what you do is maybe not what Aaron Sorkin does. You know, so you're reading yeah, the script. Just read to the know, baseline right now. Yeah. Just read and and the more scripts you read, you will start to be able to tell yourself, oh, that's Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> like yeah. you will actually start to assess that yourself because you've read five scripts a week, you're going to start start to get it pretty quickly. Um, so, and, and it's all, and maybe we can put um, some links, Jeff, of where people can get scripts to go read. Um, Cause I think there are such things now. Um, yeah, I right, would so like to read the script for action movies, like, like mm -hmm. Indiana Jones or Die Hard, like these old, I guess they're all eighties movies, but I, I want to read some of those to see how some of that is yeah if you're out. like when i was going to write my first action sequence i read a lot of action scripts to learn how to write action sequences so that you are you are hitting the the reader with the action and the and the possibility of this scene and how exciting it's going to be but also tracking character like they have to keep tracking the character they have to keep it emotional that it's not just an action sequence for action sequence sake and there are real real amazing pros doing this that you can read um so definitely whatever genre you're doing, read all those genres, because guess what? The executives you're going to hand it to have read all of them, right? <laughs> so get up to at least the baseline of the person that's going to be reading it professionally. Right. This huh? is after many, many drafts. Like don't expect this readability thing to come like magic on your first couple of drafts. No, right? You like, should expect yeah. that your scripts are incredibly hard to read <laughs> for quite a while. That is just how it goes. That is just how it goes. That's the cavern that opens between your feet and your expectation. So, but it'll happen. I promise you it'll happen. It's like, I can, I'm not going to handle you a clarinet and I can talk to you all about playing a clarinet, but until you start playing that clarinet, it's going to squeak like hell. Like it just is. Writing is no different than any other art form. So read as much as you can and then write as much as you can. All right, next question. Anne asks, can you talk generally about some of the major differences structurally between writing a pilot and writing a feature? Well, they're very, very different um, forms of storytelling, in my opinion. Um, certainly, if you're doing a limited series and in your mind, like mine, it's a long feature. Sometimes writers will say the first three episodes are kind of act one and this is the, you know, act two and this is act three. The danger of that, in my opinion, is that sometimes people are not going to stay around for three episodes of an act one, right? Like it's somewhat a dangerous trap because you have to start your story. You have to get it going in that pilot with a cliffhanger. So I want to watch the next one. Yeah. But in and general, each episode still has to have an arc for the characters even and as they're still going to the end of the sort long movie you still have to have a complete episode it can't your just pilot be a chunk all, of a movie your pilot yeah. can all, all be set up it, it has to start hitting main relationships immediately i'm having this discussion right now with uh, my husband we're we're going to go pitch a tv show and this is the pilot question is how do we get these this core relationship of the show started right in the pilot as quickly as possible um I also think there's a different kinds of TV shows and you need to know what you're writing. Is it a, a show that is procedural 
or is it what is the official world my brain is tired this morning from Austin it's all of your fault people um <laughs> uh, you know where you well procedural is the easiest way to think of it because every week there's going to be a different thing that they have to face right so you can come in and out of that show you don't have to it's not serialized you don't have to watch them in order to understand what the heck's going on a lot of streamers have been serialized whereas networks have been more um, procedural. You can go in and out. Though I heard at Austin that that is shifting, that the streamers now are, are moving away from serialized because they want people to be able to come in and out. I don't know. That's just what I heard on the grapevine. Um, I'm a serialized writer, so I hope they'll still want a couple more before they go over. Because the other version where it's procedural or something that you can just come in and out of and you don't need to follow an order is a very different engine for a TV show. It is, it has to be able to tick for 10 years. It is a completely different way of building a story. Um, structurally though, Lorian, what would you say is the difference between a feature and a pilot? Pilots generally are five acts or four acts. Yes, but it's, you know, it's a cold open three acts and a tag or somewhere in those five acts. It depends if it's a half hour comedy, if it's procedural, if it's episodic you know it's all that stuff but it is generally the same structure you have your inciting incident you know the thing that sets it off and every tv show has a slightly different format you're going to have you know like when you look at monster of the week or the procedural it's like like what is the um law and order it always starts with the uh, uh the crime happening i think and then you go to the solving of it so you get that little taste of it um, so that's the same format. It's going to follow every single episode, but there is a three act structure in there or five act or whatever it is. It's still that same rhythm. It's still the inciting incident, the building action to the midpoint, you know, so it's the same. It just ends differently. Like if, if it's you're... an episodic, you're going to reset your character at the end of every one. And if you're asking this question because, um, and because you have an idea and you're not sure which it is, my suggestion, which you may not like this take a TV pilot writing course at UCLA Extension and write it as a pilot and then take a feature 101 UCLA Extension class and write it as a feature and you are going to learn so much because it's the same idea and you're going to watch it shift and have different things put upon it based on the structures and tenets of those storytelling uh, ways. So, you know, at some point we can ask a lot of questions. I'm not saying you're doing this, and I'm actually talking about myself now. I can be like, is this a feature? Is this TV? And I'm just avoiding actually doing it because I just need to go do it. So you're going to learn structure by doing. So read a lot of pilots, read a lot of features, and, you, and you'll intuit, start to intuit that structure. Um, but just, and just go write it. That's my advice. Which um, is the same advice Meg gave me yesterday. I have an idea and we were talking about it. And I was like, it's a TV show. It's serialized. It's one hour drama, 10 episodes. And I've been, it's complicated, right? Cause it's a serialized show. And Meg said, well, what if it was a feature? And immediately it just became very simple to me. I saw the three, you know, I've been thinking about it since and writing little scenes and it was, oh, this is so much simpler and so much more satisfying to tell this particular story because it really is about the main relationships and not so much about the plot. In this case was a distraction. Um, yes, plot is important, but but for me, this particular project always started with these two characters and their relationship. And it's it's better as a feature than it is as a TV show 
for this particular project, but it just felt easier to write as a feature. Which is a good um, sign. It felt more fun. It felt more fun and freeing and rather than, oh, I've got all these threads and got to set this up and that, you know, which I mean, writing's hard, too. but sometimes I'll be writing and I'll be like, oh my God, this is way too hard to write. Something's off. It means something's way off in the engine of this thing or that it's not really a TV show or I didn't set it up in act one or my engine doesn't actually create three acts because it should not be this hard to write this scene if it was cooking, if I had it. So that is a good a telltale sign. I personally think keep writing to the end because you don't know the answer to your question of why it's hard might come in the third act and then you're going to reboot the whole thing. So I'm not telling you to stop if it gets hard, but if it gets hard, it is a sign sometimes that something might be off. And I hadn't started, but now I have. <laughs> like I hadn't started and it was too hard. I just wasn't doing it. But now that I have permission to do this permission, whatever, I gave myself permission to write it as a feature. It's like, oh, now I'm doing it. And it's fun and juicy and ideas are starting to swirl around rather than awesome. the other one, which was like, uh. So That's it wasn't awesome. like I was writing it and got too hard to stop. I just wasn't doing it. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Mike asks, how much of your script should you outline? Mike, well, it if it's is, for hire, all of it. Yeah, if it's for hire, for you're going to have to outline the whole dang thing. I mean, yeah. it's so it's so personal and it, it can change project to project. Um, and how deep is that outline? Um, what I find interesting about the question, though, is how much of your script you outline. That's a very specific question because if you're outlining, you're outlining. You may not go into a lot of detail in that outline and you're just looking at the character movements that are creating the structure, which is often what I do. I just start by saying, where does she start? Who does she think she is? What's her world? Um, you can talk about flaw, wound, whatever you want to talk about, strengths. And then I say, what? Here's, here she is the inciting incident. Here she is at the end of act one. Here's her goal. Here's her plan. Here's her want. Here's her main relationship. Here she is at the midpoint. She's going to be here at the end of act two and realize this or claim this and the relationships. This is how it's going to change. This is what she's doing in the climax. And Sometimes that's all I do. I do those six or seven beats or sentence each. And then I go puke draft because it'll all change once I get in the in that lava puke draft. But sometimes I like to at least know where she starts and where she finishes. Or I'm doing a much more detailed outline where I'm literally, which is often what you have to do if you're hired, going scene by scene, you're a sentence per scene of what's happening. That's I don't do that as much because I find that you can get lost in those and think that this is writing and that this is the storytelling, but it's so intellectual that until those characters are walking and talking, they're not participating fully yet. And often you spend all this time on this outline. It's like 10 pages long and you start writing and the character's like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I know that your intellect told you that we I was going to do that, but that is not what I'm doing. Let's go this way. And then Ava goes, it's not wasted that outline because of course it churned up a lot of stuff. But don't get trapped in the outline either. Don't, it is not writing. It is not coming from the right side of your brain. A lot of it, some of it is, but it is not that core, deep, subtextual stuff coming up. So um, pick whatever you want to do that. I would say yeah. outline, if it's not for money, outline as much as you need to start writing. Yeah. And then there's the scriptment, right? Which we talk about, which is I when I do one, I it's sort of an in-between a script and an outline. Because, uh, I don't like outlining. I feel like I don't know the answers. So I've been trying lately to be more disciplined about the polls, Meg, what you just talked about, what I'm going for. So I don't just write 100 pages into the abyss, which is so much fun, I have to say. 
Um, but, uh, you know, okay, here's act one. And I'm, I know what this scene should look like. And I know what this dialogue is. So I'll write that. But then the next scene, I don't know, but she has to get here and then leave here. And I don't know how that happens. But so it's just more of like a, an outline kind of sentence, you know, and then I move on to the next place of how I think she's going to respond coming out of that. Um, so, you know, I've written a feature scriptment that was 76 pages long. And then I took that and then I turned that into the script. And then that was 150 pages long. And then I cut it and then I rewrote parts. But for me, that felt less like outline, first draft, this, this, because I don't like rules. I don't want your rules. So that felt more like I was breaking, I was doing something myself and it really worked for me because then I don't feel like I'm beholden to some system that doesn't work for me. Uh, that's sort of my thematic in life, by the way. <laughs> All right, Ryan asks, how do you decide what to cut and what to keep when it comes to editing between drafts? Now, editing between drafts, I'm assuming you mean rewriting? Like editing between drafts is an interesting phrase. I'm not sure what that means completely. Um, rewriting means in my, where I live in my head, you are getting all your notes. You are figuring out which are the biggest ones, the most, the ones that are going to have the most impact in order for you to drill down into what is the disease of this script? What is wrong? Because if you just go for symptoms and you're editing, using that word editing, you're just going to get different symptoms. So you got to drill down. So I throw out the whole script and start over and re go back to the basics of that engine. And I'm re doing that quick outline again and going again. So I guess my answer is everything. <laughs> I mean, eventually things are sticking, um, at, you know, draft five, six, seven, things are really starting to stick. And now you've got to earn them and make sure they're being earned and all kinds of other things. But um, you're cutting what doesn't work in terms of that engine and you're keeping what is um, earning its way back based on your new version. Um, Lorraine, do you have anything to add? Yeah, it depends on where you are. Meg, you've talked a lot about how we layer in rewrites, like what we address in each rewrite. And I think that's a piece of this answer as well. Like, okay, I'm doing the structure rewrite, right? Okay, how is this broken structurally okay what do i need to keep and what do i need to jettison and then style you know whatever passes you do i think that depends and don't cut that stuff and delete it save it somewhere because it might need to come back like you just said like sometimes things need to come and go yeah, yeah and it depends we've got on whole, where you are got a whole, on the rewrite and yeah. we've got a whole um episode on um revisions i think so we can can send you over there bianca asks would love to hear your suggestion on time spent writing versus research studying structure and craft for those of us with little time each day for our projects. I always feel like I should be using my time for writing, but need to do these other things too. But then I feel like I'm just avoiding the writing. Yes, I know. Welcome. <laughs> I feel yes. that every day. I think we can get lost in the details sometimes when we're doing research. Like if I have a something set, for example, in 1965, I'll be like, Oh, well, there's a song on the radio. What was a song on the radio in 1965? And then I fall down this weird rabbit hole of searching that out. And the like the details that aren't actually helping me write, those are a distraction. Because I can just write, a song is playing with like in caps that I know I'm going to change and keep going with the writing. It's just, you know, making sure that what you're researching is critical to where you are in the process. Because it can be really fun. I mean, Wikipedia is amazing in terms of, you know, falling into weird writing holes. But I, I think it's about where you are in that rewrite and what you need to 
know in order to write your characters and push them forward. Yeah, what I do is because I can get lost in the research and tell myself the excuse that, well, I don't know how she would farm this land with what instrument because I, you know, blah, blah, blah. I do keep a little document going of character and she's talking to me and she she just wants to get going. What is the main relationship? And sometimes as you research those shift around based on, well, he wouldn't even be there because they didn't show up for 40 years. Okay, well, that is clearly not going to be the main relationship. But I do like to keep that percolating, even in just weird images or bits of dialogue or scene ideas, you know, call it a melting pot, because it is ultimately a right brain experience. If you are researching, if you are studying structure and you're deep in that and you really want to stay, then I would recommend doing morning pages, which is from the writer's uh, way work book where you sit down every morning and it's you give yourself 20 minutes and you fill three pages with whatever comes into your head just to keep the wheels greased so to speak and to keep the tap open as you do that more intellectual stuff but it's absolutely a trap to spend so much time studying screenwriting and reading all the books about screenwriting if you're not actually also writing none of it's going in your brain none of it's actually grooving brain uh, cells or changing brain cells um Uh, how important, uh, we've got a question about how important is it for an emerging screenwriter to write work in the same genre? Are there other ways of establishing your brand to get noticed? I, I actually heard this question to somebody else at uh, Austin and they said the same thing I would say to you, which is the best way to do it is to have a brand of genre. It just is. It is the easiest way. They know how to sell you and they are going to sell you down into that track. You don't have to stay in that track, but you have to get in the game. You got to get some chips in the game. Um, so you don't have to do that, but I highly recommend that is the most efficient, quick way to do it, that you're known for thrillers. You're known for different genres. And so they know how to sell you. Eventually, they're going to read other things and realize, oh, it's not just the genre. It's about the incredible characters, this writer, and then you become branded as a character writer, right? And that you can do any genre as long as it has these rich characters or you, oh, look, it's all about action. It could be an action in any. So you can think about that if you want to. If you really don't want to write the same genre, then what is the unifying, if you had to be your own agent and you had to pick up the phone, what would you say to that buyer, right? She can write in many different genres, but what the the core thing that she can do and bring to any project you have is incredible action sequences that are still emotional. She can, you know, you decide for yourself, what is your brand? What is your hook? And so that when you are finally talking to a manager, an agent, you can sell yourself that way, right? Because if they just see a lot of genres, they might get scared. But if you can clarify for them, this is who I am as a writer and give them the thing to sell. That would be my, that would be my. I have nothing to add. Okay, let's go to the next question. (laughs) How do you write in the lava, which concerns people close to you in your life without having them feel betrayed? I think this for me, it's really important when I'm writing anything personal that, and I've said this before, make sure that that character is not you, literally, that you have found a character through which to tell your story, because then you will find the character's either combinations of them or split versions of those people in your life that you're also writing about that are represented, not literally, but, you know, character-wise or metaphorically Mm -hmm. as, uh, you know, archetypes, as they start out as archetypes or 
um, as sort of the theme or yeah, help me out here. I don't, I kind of lost. Yeah, no, my I mean, but, ultimately, ultimately yeah. you're a writer's creating metaphor out of that real lava. So your mom is not going to know she's the monster in the closet. Like she's not going to pick it up. I promise. Uh, Cause if she did, she stopped being the monster in the closet. Um, <laughs> the other crazy weird thing that I have seen happen is people are just flattered that they're in the movie. Like they do not pick it up. It's so strange. <laughs> they don't pick it up. Now, if you are writing something that is autobiographical, um, I think you do have to be careful because if you're literally naming your cousin who did that thing, you know, that's that's pretty tricky. And I would have to have almost send you to a lawyer because I don't know the implications of doing a direct autobiographical um, story that you're literally outing them. I would be careful about that. Just write it as a sample. But if you're actually going to sell it and put it out in the world, I would talk to a lawyer. But in terms of the lava, yes, it's about change some specificity so so that it is not only them it's not only them that that's a character that you're using the lava to fill in the veins of but it's not necessarily exactly them that, that makes sense yeah um so someone asked um, Sorry, super, can i just add um for more on this, we talked a lot about it in the Annie Lamada episode because her work is so um, remarkably personal. She has lots of thoughts on this and speaks about it very eloquently as well. So it was an early one, but I would check that out. Yeah, that's a good one. So there's another great question in here that I'd love to answer, which is for those of us no longer residing in Hollywood, would you consider doing Zoom classes or workshops? And the answer is yes, we do. Please, that's all, why we started the Patreon workshop. Uh, the Patreon site, um, it's pretty low cost because it's not about us making millions of dollars. Um, <laughs> it's really just about getting to meet you and talk to you and hear your stories and workshop with you more, much more directly. We have logline workshops in there. We have all kinds of different workshops. Um, and even when you join, you can go back and watch the recordings of those and then come join us live and participate. So we are absolutely doing that. It's on our Patreon uh, workshop. So go check that out. And occasionally um, I teach uh, character and dialogue and generative writing workshops, um, just Zoom, very small groups, uh, not that expensive, because again, I'm really interested in building up writers and communities. Uh, I think some of the groups I've taught have formed writers groups afterwards, which I was really inspired about. Um, and I usually post those in the TSL Facebook group, I'm doing one in November, I think on the 12th. Uh, that won't help anyone who listens to this episode out of order. Uh, but I might be doing them once a month from now on. We'll have to see. We'll have to see how busy I get since now I'm Emmy nominated. You know, I don't oh my know. My God, that's right, Lauren. Oh my God. Um, another <laughs> question we got was at what point do you think you should walk away or move on from a script? And it's a really good question and a very hard one to answer because it's such a personal thing. Um I would say after you've done five full drafts, and I mean full blow up, blow the pieces uh, up completely, rewrite them, not noodle them. If you're, if it's still just not getting traction for you internally, move on to something else and come back. Because often, you know, even when I'm writing, I have other pots boiling in my head to keep things fresh. Because if you quit too soon, you're just going to keep quitting on everything. Because what's happening is the canyon is opening between what you want it to be and what it is. And that's just going to take work and drafts and getting great feedback to jump. And, and it's going to become something else than what you ever expected or thought it was going to be. That is just the process of creativity. Um, but it does happen. It does happen that things go dry um, or 
you've been working on it so long, you've changed. And it's maybe not an idea you want to work on anymore. So I always say that writers don't just write a script. Writers write many, many scripts and of many different, and I mean different scripts, not just revisions. So have lots of pots boiling. And if something is truly, if you're truly, it's dry, it's gone dry, not avoiding. It's not fear that's making you stop. Um, and, you know, have you really, have you really changed it each draft? I would say if you're ready to walk away from a script right before you do, do one writing exercise where you do something crazy huge to it. I mean, just blow it up. The craziest thing you can think of just to make sure it's not that you're avoiding something. What do you think, Lorian? I, I mean, I'm still struggling with this, honestly. I don't know. I I don't know sometimes when I'm working on something, if I'm overwhelmed or scared or having a block or it's not working or if I should walk away. I I'm still very caught up in the emotional uh, piece of it. And I don't, I don't have a good answer for it. I think your answer is really good, but I, I get, um, I'm always working on balance, which I don't have around that. You know, I think for me, it's talking to you or other writer friends. And I'm like, ah, I hate the script. I want to quit. And then you ask me questions and then I, and that helps me clarify why I hate it or why I want to walk away. That for me is the tool I use, which not everyone has. Not everyone can text Meg and say, help. But um, that's, that's still where <laughs> I am. You have friends you can ask. You have friends you can yeah, ask. You should have, I don't, writers I going. Ask them. Yeah, I can't tell that stuff in, by myself. I need help. I need, I need community. I need uh, outside perspective to help me figure out why I'm having those big feelings about it. Yeah. That's so, yeah. Just remembering, like, it's never forever, right? I mean, like, there's such a finality to the way this question is asked. And, like, no, I think until you die, you can say that you're working on a script. So, I don't know, it's not like it's a divorce. And I guess plenty of people who divorce get remarried anyway. So, I think there's something interesting about this question and the finality of it. And I would just challenge yeah. that person of, like, you can always step away for years and still come back to something when you've grown or learned. So, um you know, just don't get so caught up in the stakes of saying goodbye to a project that you really feel like you're always saying goodbye to something. And then we had some other um, questions that I think are all asking the same thing in different ways. Somebody got feedback on their script that their dialogue needs to have more emotional depth and that it isn't digging deep enough. And another person asked about, you know, can I leave it to the actors to bring that emotional depth because it's subtext? And, you know, sorry to say, I'm going to say the word lava to you. It just means you are not pushing to things that make you feel vulnerable. You're, and I do this too, by the way, especially in early drafts where I get an idea of a character in my head and it's an intellectual idea. Like she's a con man and, oh, this will give me so much plot and I'll research con men and how they work. And that's a fine place to start, by the way, don't get me wrong. But at some point I have to dig deeper into what is a con man to me? Why am I interested in con men? And who's a con man in my life? And when have I been a con man? And I, I have to really see, is that something personal to me? Or is that just something I grabbed onto in desperation because I needed a plot, right? Like it's just asking those questions. That's why we say barf draft because we want you to just start digging up the clay and not worry about, I do think everybody can get so worried about because this is how it's taught, all the exterior have tos and shoulds that you're kind of moving puppets around and you can feel it when you read it versus digging down into the truth of that moment. Because 
in your head, you want her to turn around and walk out the door. But the truth of the moment is she might not. And what happens if she doesn't? Um, so it's really just a, a toning into um, what would be the scariest thing to happen right here? What digging down into, if you're not hearing emotional depth in your dialogue, start listening to how people talk. Start reading those scripts. Watch how the masters imbue dialogue with emotion. You you may not learn that from just watching the t watching it on the movie because there's so many other elements are happening music and actors and lights and and production design are all starting to pull out that emotion. But I promise you, on the script stage, it was there on the page. So my advice, I guess, to back to this is lava push deep into it, barf drafts and start reading scripts to see how they do it. I think also try writing the subtext as text just to see what it really is. And um, and then do some exercises. You know, when a character gets in a fight with their spouse about whose turn it is to do the dishes, that's never really what the fight is about. What is really going on? So write it as text and then write it as subtext. And then write it as text again, like what are they really, really fighting about and how are they hurting each other or convincing each other or, you know, what are the little wounds that they can poke at? This is a piece of seeing, you know, how a character, who was it that said every scene is a, a seduction, a betray? Well, I don't remember what they are, but like, what does that character want in that scene? How, what are the tools they're going to use? This is what we learned in acting, right? What are your tactics to get what you want in the scene? So what do they want? How are they going to get it? And how far will they go in that particular part of the story? And push them in an exercise to go as hard as they can. Like even pushing them outside of character to see what it feels like to write that. Because maybe you're holding back because you don't want to see your character do that really gross or awful or scary thing. So do some exercises. You can even do the exercises that take your character out of anything that has to do with the movie. Like what if they were in a bathroom in a Tahoe casino and they want something from someone else? Like write up something outside and see what they would do in that situation. Um, play and and push them really, really hard uh, because that's usually when they snap at you, refuse to do it. And then you can be like, why? Why won't you do this? Push them. You can even write yourself in a scene with them, pushing them to do something or they have to get something from you. There are lots of ways you can push your characters and you can dig into what you're not, that lava Meg was talking about, what you're not quite allowing them to do or be. If they're reckless, make them really reckless. You know, it will show you how they fight and seduce and capitulate all those things. We just reran the Andrew Stanton episode and one of the words he used when he talked about character wants was what does your character long for? What is your character longing? And that's such a beautifully loaded word because it's already so inherently emotional. So I feel like if you feel like even your dialogue is lacking emotional anything, ask how that dialogue is acting in context for what your character longs for. Because um, if your character, if it's either that dialogue will either be pushing that character toward what they long for or away from it. And then that, in that barometer, that dialogue will just be loaded. Yeah, I was thinking about the dishes. So my husband usually does the dishes and it makes me feel very taken care of. Lately, he hasn't been doing the dishes and we haven't talked about it. So, and it makes me feel like, oh, I have this new burden 
But then I wonder if he's not doing the dishes because he feels taken advantage of. So if we were going to have a fight about who's doing the dishes, I'm longing to be taken care of. And he's doesn't want to do this because he's longing to be validated and seen and appreciated for what he's doing. But that's not what we'd actually be talking about. You know, he might get very hurt and quiet. I might be very loud and mean that that's total fictional, by the way, that's not how I am in real life at all. Um, but just in terms of like, what I'm longing for there is please do the dishes because I don't want to because it makes me feel taken care of. And he's like, please stop just putting dirty dishes in the sink because you're taking advantage of me, you know, so it's, it's that longing. That's such a good way. Um, that's such a good way to, to think about it, that the longing is the subtext. And that's the emotional piece of it. Yeah. My, my only thought, Lauren, is how dare you talk about my marriage on this podcast? <laughs> you know, and I would also add, if you're having trouble with dialogue and character description depth and, and the dialogue depth of the emotions, you should be taking Lorian's, uh character workshop because that's what it's all about so i highly recommend that uh so that's it the uh thank you everybody for sending in your amazing questions and thank you so much for listening if you haven't joined yet we highly recommend the tsl facebook group um it's a really wonderful place a really great family and community um, to find additional support outside the show and to make connections and remember, you are not alone and keep writing. Thanks for tuning in to The Screenwriting Life. We love our community and we want to get to know you even better. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash thescreenwritinglife or email us at thescreenwritinglife at gmail.com to have your question considered for the show. You can also suggest topics by emailing us there. Also, we'd love for you to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Even if we don't read your review on air, trust me, we have read it, and not only does it mean the world to us, but it helps other people find the show. We've always been driven by mission and mentorship, and reviewing our show helps expand that mission. And of course, until next Sunday, happy writing.